Past Ball Show. Brought to you by JohnPLE.com. What the f*** you think is my opinion of it? I think it was f***ing Put that in. I don't... So the Tribe drops its third straight on this trip. Six to one to the Rangers. For the Indians, one run on, let's say, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Talk about the past, talk about the history, I'm talking about what's great about this game of baseball. There's so much stuff that we talk about. I would say I wouldn't know, but I would say the reason why they want to pass is baseball going into the highest baseball sport that has gone into baseball and from the baseball angle. I'm not going to speak of any other sport. Let me start by telling you this. I have never used steroids, period. Jerry, just remember it's not a lie if you believe it. Joe Carter with a three-run homer. The winners and still world champions, the Toronto Blue Jays. And this team sucks. Well, hey, he is. Out. He's out. Yes, Brad is out. Look at, look at this. Brad is out. And uh, Damon Mann. I don't want to hear to argue about other sports. I'm in the baseball business. This can run cleaner than any baseball business ever put out in the hundred years of the present time. Sell the team. Oh, yeah. Welcome aboard. John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network, Arrow 2 of, of course, the radio program. And a couple things I want to get into. And, of course, you know, we're going to finish off with a couple solid interviews that we're going to do today. And uh, we'll start off by talking about a situation that could be brewing in Houston. And, you know, I don't know how it, how it could end up happening. I don't know if it's even a possibility. But let's look at the possibility of Houston Astros manager Bo Porter leaving for greener pastures. Now, Bo Porter, of course, has been a a highly rated coach for several different teams over the last several seasons and, of course, finally got his first managerial gig with the Houston Astros. Now, the Astros weren't good when they got there, so it's not a surprise that they haven't played very good baseball. And Like we talked about in the first hour, they got the worst record in all of Major League Baseball and are probably going to have the number one overall pick for the third consecutive season. Now, obviously, Porter probably signed on for what's going on in Houston, the rebuilding process. It's not a surprise that the Astros are such a bad team right now. You, know, you look at everything that's happened over the last couple of years, uh, from you know what the general manager you know Ed Wade did there, and then he ends up leaving, and you know the new staff has gutted the team completely, and there's no surprise, like I said, that this team isn't any good. But Bo Porter, you know, is a guy that's been known to work with some younger players, was a guy that got himself the job, and very deservedly so. But what happens if there's an an opportunity that comes, and maybe one of the old organizations that he was involved with, perhaps the Washington Nationals, come calling? And they say, listen, Davey Johnson recommended you to replace me when I when when you know when I, when he ends up stepping down. And what do you think he would leave Houston after just one season? On paper, that looks terrible. That would make Bo Porter out to be kind of a bad guy, or at least look like a bad guy. But from everything that every indication that I've been given, looking at Bo Porter the way he kind of carries himself, he seems like he's a good guy. So would that automatically assume? that he wouldn't take the Washington Nationals job if it was somehow offered to him. Now, obviously, the Astros would have to approve of some sort of compensation or at least give approval for the Washington Nationals to get a chance to speak with him. Now, Mike Rizzo, 
is a guy that I have more of an issue with than with Bo Porter. Mike Rizzo, as the general manager of the Washington Nationals, has not necessarily endeared himself to, to the general public, to media, and to fans. I wouldn't be surprised if Mike Rizzo would make an inquiry with the Houston Astros to see if Porter services could possibly be available. I would not expect the Astros under any circumstance to, to say okay. And I don't think the Astros are in a position where they could all of a sudden be overwhelmed by something that the Washington Nationals could trade over for the services of Bo Porter. I mean, he's not, he's not worth Bryce Harper. He's not worth Steven Strasburg or Jordan Zimmerman. I mean, who on the Washington Nationals team would you think would be a fair enough compensation for, for an Astros manager that the Astros want? They're not going to just pawn him off for nothing. And, you know, I think, I think we get into a generation, and we've gotten into a generation of Major League Baseball where a lot of ma- managers have become trading chips. And you saw it happen last year with John Farrell going from Toronto to Boston. You saw it in the past happen with Lou Pinella going to the Tampa Bay Rays. And, you know, it's a possibility that it could happen. Ozzie Guillen left the White Sox to go to the Marlins. And, of course, there's been several other uh, managers that ended up switching teams with some sort of compensation involved while they were still under contract. Obviously, Porter signed a contract that's going to pay him over the next several seasons to manage the Houston Astros. In the big leagues, Porter played for the Cubs, for the Athletics, and the Rangers from 99 to 2001. After his career ended, he managed two seasons in the Marlins minor league system in 2005 and 2006 and got a job in a coaching staff in 2007. He remained there through 2009 and took a third a job as a third base coach for the Arizona Diamondbacks for the 2010 season. When Kirk Gibson became manager midseason, Porter became the bench coach. After he was let go that season, he joined the Nationals coaching staff, and he was the third base coach in 2011 and 2012. That got him the opportunity to manage in Houston, who, of course, Brad Mills was the manager last year and the last couple of years, you know, the former bench coach with the Boston Red Sox and Terry Francona, and was let go and, of course, replaced uh, on an interim basis by Tony DeFrancesco and now Bo Porter on a, on, a, on a full-time basis. Now, it's obviously going to have a lot to do with what Bo Porter wants to do. I doubt it would be a decision about the talent level of the Astros and the Nationals. I don't think it's a situation where he'd be like, well, the Astros aren't going to be very good in the Nationals, have a chance to win the division, let me go where I have a chance to win. It could be, though. I'm sure Porter was 100% on board with the Astros' rebuilding process, and he'd like to see it through. He had a chance to manage this season to work with a lot of younger players, whether they're minor league players, whether they're players up the major league level, whether they're players that are in the minor leagues that look to – be impact players in the major league level in the future, uh, he probably got himself comfortable with those guys. And I, I would think that he would like to see this thing completely through. The similarities between this and what happened with John Farrell aren't really there. John Farrell was a guy that wanted to manage in Boston. He took the job in Toronto because he thought Terry Francona was going to be there for a long time. And, of course, he takes the job one year and Francona's out and Bobby Valentine's there. And then Bobby Valentine's out and they have a managerial vacancy open again. And I mean, the more you think about it, yeah, Farrell does not look like a good guy when he, when he bolts a team in Toronto that he was brought there to take over. But, you know, he ends up doing what he wanted to do. I don't, I don't see the same similarities. I don't see the same kind of uh, possibilities in regards to the move of Bo Porter. I don't think Bo Porter has ridiculous ties to the Washington Nationals. He might. He might have become real, real close with Davey Johnson. Davey Johnson may have said, hey, this guy, Bo Porter, is a guy that I want to see managing my team. 
If I wasn't here, I'd like to see him the manager. Maybe that's a possibility. But remember, Mike Rizzo and Davey Johnson aren't necessarily on the same page. You know, Johnson probably can't wait to get out of there. I wouldn't be surprised if once the Nationals were eliminated, he stepped down and just said, listen, I'm retiring. But Bo Porter is a possibility. And I do think that Mike Rizzo, when he's going through his next manager, isn't necessarily going to prize somebody right off the coaching staff. He's going to think about it a little bit. And there's a possibility, there's a possibility that Bo Porter may consider leaving the Houston Astros to go to the Washington Nationals after the season. So I think that's something that definitely has to be thought about. But moving on, uh, once again, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Hopefully you guys are enjoying the program. I, I analyzed the trade the other day that I thought was pretty interesting because we talk about all the different moves that have been made this season. You know, Justin Morneau, you know, Marlon Byrd, Michael Young. Uh, you go back sooner, Matt Garza. You know, some of the moves the Chicago Cubs have made, trading Alfonso Soriano. And one move that I don't think gets a lot of publicity is the trade of Scott Feldman. Scott Feldman was a free agent signing by the Cubs this past offseason. You know, he had several years in the Texas Rangers organization. You know, they, they didn't really know if he was going to be a starter or a reliever and ended up letting him go as a free agent this year where the Cubs signed him for a $6 million one-year contract. The Cubs, in addition to a lot of other pitchers that they signed, were hoping that Feldman could try to solidify a spot in the rotation and could kind of help with some of the younger pitchers they have and give some inning, you know, take away some innings so he could kind of just, you know, be a dependable fifth or fourth starter for them. Now, what ended up happening, Feldman ends up throwing the ball very well. He, 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 had a, he had a phenomenal, you know, did a phenomenal job, 7-6 and six record, 3.75 ERA in 15 starts, and was pretty much considered a guy that could go out there and pitch seven, six, seven innings every time out. His value rose. All of a sudden, Theo Epstein, Jed Hoyer are looking and saying, listen, we could actually turn this guy into a couple pieces if we end up trading him. And obviously, if you followed the Cubs and what they've done this season, you would find it pretty obvious that they've gone out there with the interest of making trades and moving players that they know have value to get younger players back. You know, last year they moved Paul Mahalam and Ryan Dempster and Reed Johnson. This year they, they moved Matt Garza, Scott Hairston, Alfonso Soriano, David DeJesus, and of course Feldman. They end up trading Feldman to the Baltimore Orioles in exchange for two pitchers. And the two pitchers they got in return could very well be a piece of the solution in Chicago. They, they picked up right-hand pitcher Jake Garrietta, and they also picked up relief pitcher Pedro Strope. And now, I'm going to start out with Strope because here's a guy that looked great last season with the Baltimore Orioles. And, you know, here's a guy that came out of the Texas Rangers system. He was traded in the Mike Gonzalez trade. So he wasn't necessarily a guy that the Orioles were banking on to be a big reliever for them. Strope had a phenomenal season last year. He went 5-2, and two, 244 ERA in 70 games. And he made two scoreless, uh, two scoreless appearances for, in the playoffs you know, against the New York Yankees. He did a very good job. His stock rose a little bit. Now, you look at the Baltimore Orioles' bullpen this year, and you would expect Pedro Strope to be a very integral part of it, and he wasn't. He struggled. He was 0-3, a 725 ERA in 29 games before the trade. So his value had obviously dropped from the perspective of the Baltimore Orioles. Since he's gone to Chicago, Strope is pitching better than he did last year. He's 2-1 and one with 219 ERA in 26 games, a whip of, 0 point, of .892. 
So Pedro Strope is a guy that has come over, probably expendable from the Baltimore Orioles. I don't think they're going to pain very much from losing a guy like Pedro Strope, but he has certainly helped the Chicago Cubs bullpen and looks like a guy that could be part of the solution from years down the road. The, uh, the, the most important part of this trade was Arietta. Jake Arietta was a guy that was one of the top pitching prospects in the Baltimore Orioles organization over the last several seasons. Now he's struggled a little bit. He hasn't really found himself in the major leagues. He's had a you know he's had a hard time dominating while pitching in AAA in the minors. But getting Arietta and Strope for Feldman, in my opinion, is a coup. I mean, the Chicago Cubs could have certainly done a lot worse. I mean, you compare Mike Olt and Justin Grimm, who they got in the Garza trade. I'm not going to tell you that Arietta and Strope are better than Olt and Grimm, but I think they're pretty friggin' good. Jake Arietta certainly has the opportunity to get a spot in this rotation going forward, even with some of the younger pitchers coming up. And I think that, you know, Pedro Strope certainly anchors a bullpen, which they're looking to certainly solidify towards the back end. So I think it's a situation that, it, that they got it. They, get, they moved the pitcher who, you know, Scott Feldman had absolutely no value coming into the season and was 30 years old. And they moved him to the Baltimore Orioles for two 27-year-old pitchers. One of them was a top prospect in the Baltimore Orioles organization not that long ago. And Pedro Strope was good enough to go out there and get hitters out in the postseason for the Orioles last year. So I think it was a very good move you know, from the perspective of both teams there. And, and, and listen, I mean, maybe the Orioles regret it a little bit. Maybe Arietta becomes a better pitcher than maybe they thought he would be towards the end, the whole thing. But, you know, to me, listen, I think it was a very good move for the Chicago Cubs. But we're going to take the first break in the program. This is John Pielli right here on the MTR Radio Network. Pass ball show. Be back after this. This is Lady E, one of the many broadcasters at MTR Radio. If you're listening to mtrradio.com, fantastic. Que bueno. But if you want to take us with you, we have an app for your smartphone that lets you listen to us 24-7. Just go to Google Play on your Android device or the iPhone App Store and download our app, MTR Radio. I'm Ron Sulpizi from the MTR Sports Report. Not sure where to eat? Then listen to these reviews. Awesome. Amazing Greek food. Everything is fresh. Great family restaurant in the heart of Ocean City. Katina's is an Ocean City staple. When you've had your fill of pizza, cheesesteaks, and ice cream, head for Katina's. Katina's Gyro Restaurant, 501 East 9th Street, Ocean City, New Jersey, 609-399-5525. Check out their website, katinasfoods.com. That's katinasfoods.com. Order their famous Mediterranean dressing, and they'll ship it right to your door. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, Katina's Greek Restaurant. In your face, all over the place. We're online 24-7, 24-7. You're listening to the hottest internet station, MTR. Jumpy Ellie's 
Oh, yeah. Welcome back. John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Of course, this is Hour 2 of the program, and we're going to get into some stuff going on with the with the teams in Major League Baseball, and obviously we do an update every week. You got, of course, the Red Sox and the Tigers and the battle with the Athletics and the Rangers in the American League, and, of course, uh, the, the other wild card spot going to Tampa Bay at the very moment. The National League seems to be more set in regards to the teams going to the playoffs with the Dodgers and the the you know the P- Pirates and the Braves with the Cardinals and the Reds getting in as a wild card, and obviously the biggest race in the the National League is probably to what team's going to win the division and what team's going to end up getting a wild two wild card spots. One team I would not rule out, and I'll continue to say this, is the Cincinnati Reds. I had the Cincinnati Reds winning the division in the Central and representing the National League in a World Series. They are a team that pretty much uh, ha- has not disappointed this year. And you talk about the Pirates and the Cardinals, and they've gotten a ton of the credit in regards to that division. But the Cincinnati Reds have not played bad. You know, you look at what they've done offensively. Joey Votto is putting up a respectable Joey Votto-type season with the 109 walks, the over 900 OPS. Brandon Phillips has played very well. So, you know, you're looking at a team, and we talk about all these different teams that have disappointed this year. I think a team that really gets overlooked is the Cincinnati Reds. Matt Latos has really established himself as their ace. Homer Bailey has pitched well. Bronson Arroyo and Mike Leake have pitched very well. And uh, Tony Singrani, the left-hander, the 23-year-old lefty, has done a pretty good job as the fifth starter, replacing the injured Johnny Cueto. And you know about their bullpen with Araldis Chapman. Alfredo Simone has established himself as that eighth-inning specialist. Sam LeCure has pitched well. Manny Parra, J.J. Hoover, Logan Andrusik, you know, uh, an injured uh, Jonathan Broxton. And they got a pretty good bullpen. Sean Marshall should be coming back pretty soon, kind of you know making that team that much better in regards to uh, pitching options. But this this is a team that I think could be the best team in the National League. Shinsu Chu has done a very good job being the leadoff batter and center fielder. They still got Jay Bruce, you know Chris Heisey, Ryan Ludwig. Uh, they they combined to set things up in left field for them. Todd Frazier has backed up a very good rookie season with a respectable second season, though he's only hitting 230. Zach Cozart is a legitimate shortstop. I think this is a team that can certainly compete, not just compete, but can be a top team in the National League. Now, it's hard looking at teams like the Atlanta Braves, who have gone out there and had the best record not only in the National League East, but in all of the National League for a significant amount of time now. And you look at the Los Angeles Dodgers, who no team has played better than the Los Angeles Dodgers since they've gone on the run that they've got on. And I think a lot of people would favor the Braves and the Dodgers as being the top two teams in the National League. But don't rule out the Cincinnati Reds. And I think it's a situation that the Pittsburgh Pirates and the St. Louis Cardinals, they're playing a lot of each other. They played four times last week. They're playing three more times this weekend. But, you know, they're both in a position where they have the opportunity to run away with the division if they can beat up on each other. But the team that certainly can benefit itself the most from those teams playing 500 ball against each other is the Cincinnati Reds. And the Reds right now are playing the St. Louis Cardinals coming off of a win. There's a four-game series here. If they can make their mark on the St. Louis Cardinals and the you know either the Cardinals or the Pirates take two out of three from each other this weekend, this race could be a lot closer than it seems right now. The other big race that you're seeing in in Major League Baseball is a race for the American League West. And just when you thought the Oakland Athletics were on a decline and kind of dropping themselves to a point where they're going to get themselves in trouble, they go out there and they sweep the Tampa Bay Rays in a series that was absolutely huge for both teams. Both teams were sitting at the moment at the the head of the wild card spots. 
with the Athletics challenging the Texas Rangers for the AL West supremacy. And the Athletics went out there and they swept its series, which is absolutely huge for them. I like the Athletics team, the way what they have set up. Brandon Moss has solidified himself as a power bat in that lineup. Josh Reddick's been out. Coco Crisp has hit some home runs, surprisingly, this year. Yoannis Cespedes, despite hitting 231, is hitting for some power. And Josh Donaldson is hitting 290 with 19 homers and 77 RBIs as the team's regular third baseman. This is a team that is playoff ready. There's no question about it. I'm not going to. I'm not going to tell you that this isn't a playoff team. You know, even in spite of Chris Young's struggles, and like I said, you know, Seth Smith hasn't established himself. Reddick's been hurt. They got enough pitching. A.J. Griffin and Jared Parker have become their top two starters with the injury to Bartolo Colon. You know, Tommy Malone, Dan Straley. They've got guys that have gone out there and made starts. Sonny Gray has done a very good job since he stepped into the rotation, a 23-year-old right-hander. Their bullpen is good. Grant Balfour has finally established himself as a major league closer. Ryan Cook is a setup man. Guys like Sean Doolittle and Jerry Blevins and Pat Neshek and Jesse Chavez have gotten a job done as as uh, you know, righty and lefty specialists, respectively. This is a team that I think I'm going to tell you is better than I thought it would be. And obviously, we're talking about two years ago when I thought they would be one of the worst teams in the league because of all the moves that they made. Well, a lot of things have panned out in their own direction, and they deserve credit for it. They've made a couple wise moves, trading for guys like Jed Lowry and Alberto Cayaspo to give themselves some depth in the middle infield. And, you know, John Jaso is a backup catcher with Derek Norris. And, of course, they brought back Kirk Suzuki, who has hit 389 and 18 at-bats since he's come over. I give the Athletics credit. I think they're a playoff team. But I'm telling you, I like the other teams in the league better. And if I had the Oakland Athletics on the outside looking in, I would like to see a Baltimore in there. I'd like to see a Cleveland or a Kansas City or even a New York Yankees in there. And it's going to make this wild card race very, very interesting to see how things turn out you know, before this, before this season ends. I think it's very interesting to look at all these teams, you know, whether it's Texas, whether it's Tampa, the two teams that hold the current wild card positions. Does the Baltimore Orioles have enough in them to put a run together? They added Bud Norris and Scott Feldman. They got some better pitching. Can they do it? Can the New York Yankees get in it? Are the Cleveland Indians good enough to make a push? The Kansas City Royals, who have struggled for a little bit, and we thought they were fading right out, they got themselves back in a position where they are in a race. And, you know, it's going to be a very interesting race because you're looking for two wildcard spots, the fourth and fifth spot in the American League, and there's as many as four other teams that are legitimately in it now. I, I was probably the waking call that the New York Yankees needed when I ruled them out last week, when I said they were done. They lost two of three to the Toronto Blue Jays. After losing two of three to Tampa Bay, they were done. Now they've won three or four since and have a posi- are in a position where they can get themselves. They could feast on the Chicago White Sox over the next couple days. And if they could sweep that series, they are legitimately as much in it as any other wild card team, as much as Texas, as much as Tampa Bay or Baltimore, the teams that they're chasing right now. I think it's going to be a very interesting race to see. I think really the National League races are all set. They're done. They're ready. You know who the postseason teams are going to be. The question is, what team is going to not have to play that play-in game? Is it going to be Pittsburgh? Is it going to be St. Louis? Is it going to be Cincinnati? I think the Cincinnati Reds have as legitimate of a chance as the other two teams. And I wouldn't guarantee the Pittsburgh Pirates the division title because of the Morneau trade, because of the Marlon Bird and John Buck trade. I like what the Pittsburgh Pirates have done. 
They are one win away at this very moment of the recording of this show of guaranteeing their first non-losing season since 1992. And I think they'll do it. I think they'll win two more games before this week's over. And we'll tell you, we'll tell you that the Pirates are guaranteed that winning season. But obviously they have their eyes set on something further, something more. They're starting rotation with guys like Burnett and Liriano and Locke anchoring the staff. Charlie Morton has done a phenomenal job since he's come off the disabled list. Garrett Cole is the guy that they've trusted to be a legitimate everyday starter. So they're, they they got Jason Grilly coming back. I think this is a team that's ready to, to be in the postseason. Are they good enough to be that legitimate number one seed? You know, the, the, that division winner? I don't know. I'm not ready to guarantee them that, but I think they can. And I think the most important race, if you're watching, the obviously the AL wildcard races, the AL West division title, the NL Central title, I think the NL Central division race is the most intriguing one left in all of Major League Baseball. So I'm going to jump right into an interview I recorded with former Major League pitcher Bill Landrum. And, of course, Bill pitched for the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Cincinnati Reds, was a member of the 91 and 90, uh, 90 and 91 teams that won the NL East for the Pittsburgh Pirates. So hopefully you guys enjoy this spot. Former Major League pitcher Bill Landrum. Hey, good afternoon. This is John Pielli. I'm here with former Major League pitcher Bill Landrum. Bill, what's going on, man? Doing good, buddy. How y'all doing up there? Yeah, everything's going well, man. Thanks for the time. Hey, first uh, let's get into it. Obviously, you've been you're you're a guest over at the uh, the best uh, charity of Ward's Banquet and golf outing. Uh, tell us a little bit about your experience there, and you know what it means to you. Well, I'm at the uh, uh, probably back when I played ball, I used to work in the Phillies clubhouse, um, and um, uh, I Kind of like, where are they now? You know, you get to go back 
20 years after your career is over, I've been many people that you admired and played before you or with you or against you or whatever. So it's, it's just it's a, neat, it's a neat win-win situation. Yeah, absolutely, man. Once again, this is John Piali with former Major League pitcher Bill Landrum. Now, Bill, as you know, as you came up, you know, you made your, you know, you made your major league debut with the Reds, you know, in 1986. Tell us a little bit about, you know, how, how it felt first coming up to the majors and being on those Reds teams in '86 and '87. Well, that was uh, about that very fortunate. My, my first major league game was at Wrigley Field. And um, my manager was T-Birds, and it was still sort of a big red machine after the training Perez was still there. Hankins Setsion was still there. Ronish was still there. We had veterans like uh, Buddy Bell and uh, Dave Parker. And um, and so it was it was just a neat, neat situation. And um, um, going to really feel for the first time, as a ball player, first of all, it was really too was as a, as a ball player, my first game, and uh, I was cherishing uh, for the rest of my life. I have a question about it. I'll tell you, you know, as you, you know, you, you end up with the Cubs in 1988, and obviously, what's interesting about them is, you know, 1989, they end up, you know, winning the National League East Division. But, you know, it kind of, a lot of people said it kind of came as a surprise. Did you see anything in the 1988 Cubs that made you think that they could, you know, be that good a year later? Well, maybe not a year later, but then they have a lot of talent. They had Ralph L. Uh, Palmero, they had uh, Greg Maddox, they had Mike, uh, Mark Race. Um, they had a lot of young talent on that team. Uh, Sean Dustin, um they make sure it's better and such as Andre Dawson and Ryan Sandberg and Rick Sutcliffe and even Drew Scott, which is, uh, which was, uh, I don't know, man. I mean, it didn't work out for me with the Cubs, but they had a lot of talent at that time, a lot of young talent. Yeah, I tell you, a year later, you end up kind of emerging. You know, I have a real good year with the Pirates in 1989. Did you see anything similar to what you were saying in the Pirates in 1989? And would have made you think that they were going to be good for the next couple of years? Yeah, I probably did not. I don't think I did. I, I, just, I was just happy to finally get a chance to prove that I was worthy of being in the big league. That was my breakout year where I... Where I I knew we were, we were pretty good. We finished second. But um, to make a run like we did three years in a row and come uh, win our division and come within one out, one game, one pitch, one everything three years in a row, it was a World Series. Was, um, I didn't see that coming, but um, I'm just sorry that we didn't get a chance to finish our business here and get to the World Series and win it. Yeah, I tell you, you know, you get into, you know, you, you know, you you take a couple of years to establish yourself, and then you really, you become one of the top, one of one of the better closers in the game over the next over the next couple of years. Is that some place that you always saw yourself? Was that was that a goal to be a major league closer, or was it a situation where you're just going to kind of just pitch in whatever role you're asked? Not at all. It was just something that kind of fell in my lap when uh, Jim Gow went down in '89. They tried. Uh, about three other people in that role, and no one stepped to the plate. And finally, they ran out of people to hand the ball to, and, and they handed it to me. And um, 
and uh, I was ready and uh, had a, a breakthrough year. So um, um, very blessed it all happened to me. Um, uh, but I will say on my behalf, I always told myself, you know, I was already 29 years old. Uh, I knew that I had to be ready with opportunity of presenting this stuff. I had to be ready to, um, I wanted to have time to fail and slowly get into the three role in the big things. I was going to have to produce when I got a chance, so I had to be ready all the time. So I do pat myself on the back for being ready. Did you ever feel like you had, did you ever feel like you had like a sense of urgency at any certain point that you had said, all right, I got to start producing or else, or was it something that you you just felt you felt like as as long as you kept pitching, you'd eventually you know show to your full potential. Oh, I felt like that my whole career actually. I never felt I was in a position to um, to fail. I mean, um, because you know I was never if I wasn't drafted. They you know, made the big leagues and a non-draftee. Um, I was always a last resort. Um, always put up decent numbers in my league, but was never, I guess, really taken seriously as a, as a, as a prospect. So um, I was always proving myself. So after my first, my first save with the Pirates, I guess, became, I think it was on June the, June the 10th or 10th, somewhere in there. Of 1989, and I was against the Phillies, and um, I stuck out Juan Samuel for the bases loaded, full count, and he fouled off by three pitches. I finally got him to chase one that's going to go. I would have got, I, I got a, uh, a loss, but he swung at a ball out of the strike zone for strike three, and I got my first save and just kind of snowballed from there. Yeah, and of course, once again, it's John Pielli and there with Bill Landrum. Now, you know, the 1990 Pirates team, you know, ends up winning the division. You get to the postseason. Tell, tell us a little bit about how, how it felt with your first experience, your first opportunity to pitch in a major league postseason. Well, I tell you, um, it, was, it, was, it was fascinating. We, we played the Reds, who, who, who beat us um, in six games to get the World Series and, and swept the um, – you know, Panay's, Bash Brothers, and Eckersley and all that. Swept them in the four games. Um, it was kind of, kind of a weird feeling. Um, personally, I actually came up with the Red System, all the, all the Red players. Uh, I went to the Wild Age one of them and was good friends with a lot of them. And to uh, see them win and go to the World Series, against us, um, it was hard for me to feel bad about not making it to the World Series that year because I knew everybody, like I got a wife, Chris Elliott, Sabo, Eric Davis, Rob Dibble, uh, Norm Charlson, Barry Larkin, all those guys celebrating as I was sitting on the sidelines. Um, I don't know, I, I couldn't actually feel, I hated about it or bad about it, but, um, Post, the postseason is one of the most fascinating, fun times of my life. It's just when um, you, know, you dream about it as a little kid, you know, three two pitch all the night, you know, basically, and you come out of humor. So everybody dreams about those situations, and 
a couple of postseason that I've spent the Cardinals or the Farmers based on memories of my life. Yeah, it must have been, absolutely must have been. Of course, you make it back there a year later. Was there anything different going through your mind, making it there a second time, knowing that you've been there before? Oh, yeah. The first time I was glad to be there. The second time, I thought we were going to win it. I thought we were going to win the World Series. I thought we were going to win that. And the third time, although I wasn't there, I was, uh, I was really in spring training. Um, the same thing, you know, just like a kid. The third time's a charm, the Pirates are going to make the World Series and, and win. Um, it's all going to be sweet, but um, just wasn't in the college sports. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, yeah, obviously you look at the Pirates right now, they haven't been you know, they haven't been to the postseason since nineteen ninety two. They haven't had a winning season since that year. Uh do you keep any any feelings in the in a, in your heart at all for for the Pittsburgh Pirates franchise and having a winning season and getting back to the playoffs? Very much so. The the franchise uh, has a hard time pulling for them I'm in the down in Braves country and everybody's Braves crazy, but I, cannot, I still have not forgiven the Braves for not letting us go to the World Series one year, maybe they get one year. But they took, they took them both from me, and I have not forgotten that. Um, um, of course, I say this is human, but um, I hope the Pirates put the Braves in the, in the series this year and beat them together in the World Series. I'll take it yeah, I think there's a lot of other, you know, former Pirate players that probably feel the same way about it. Listen, Bill, I want to thank you for having some time, and uh, listen, best of luck to you, man. Maybe we can stay in touch, and I can speak to you sometime in the near future. Absolutely. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that spot with Bill Landrum. We're going to take a quick break be back with some more Passball Show after this. MTR Radio. Hello, everyone. This is Joe Lamort from ADD Sports Radio. Thanks for tuning in to mtrradio.com. Don't forget to tap that app in the Android market and iPhone app store. Search MTR Radio on your handheld device. Tap that app. We're on 24-7. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at MTR Radio. What's up, everybody? This is James Flippin, and you're rocking with the crew on MTR Radio. Welcome to mtrradio.com. You can listen to our live programming Monday through Friday. Get your voice heard by calling us at 609-910-0687 and on Facebook and Twitter at MTR Radio. Tap that app. Everybody's doing it. (laughs) MTR Radio. Hey everyone, this is Joe Lamort from ADD Sports Radio. Thanks for tuning in to mtrradio.com. We're on 24-7. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at MTR Radio. Don't forget to tap that app in the Android market and iPhone app store. Search MTR Radio on your handheld device. Tap that app. Everybody's doing it. (laughs) MTR Radio. I love MTR Radio because of its uh, innovative direction. That's a bunch of sh**. I love MTR Radio because they accept me. Ah, you knucklehead. Hey everyone, this is Joe Lamort from ADD Sports Radio. Thanks for tuning in to MTRRadio.com. We're on 24-7. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at MTR Radio. Trending today on Twitter... 
Welcome back. John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Finishing up the show with an re- interview I recorded with former Major League pitcher Chris Mahalik. And Chris, a left-hand pitcher, pitched for several teams in the Major League. is currently the pitching coach for the Potomac Nationals. Uh, and, and they're actually in the postseason. So hopefully you guys enjoy this. Enjoy the rest of your day. For Bill Landrum, Chris Mahalik, and Bill Naharadny, thanks for everything, and hopefully catch you guys next week on America's radio station. It's John Pielli. I'm here with former Major League pitcher Chris Mahalik. Chris, what's going on, man? No, I hear you, man. So right now you're the you're the pitching coach for the Potomac Nationals, and you guys you guys are in the postseason again. Tell us, you know, first of all, a little bit about 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 the team you got, and you know what you, what the expectations are coming into postseason. chance to pitch in the major leagues. Now you're kind of, you know, mentoring these these young guys as they're coming through. Do you do you get the same excitement as far as, you know, being in the postseason and, you know, just wanting to, obviously, you know, you want to win, right? Yeah, definitely. You know, you, 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 you know, with these guys going along and you see, you know, you see how hard they work and, and the improvements that they made, that they, they made throughout the year. And, and uh, you know, of course, you know, yeah, I, I get excited and, I'm here with uh, former major league pitcher Chris Mahalik. Now, you know when, when you're when you're dealing with the with the young pitchers, and obviously at at the level that you're at right now, are you in a position where you're going to be, you know, let's say tinkering with their mechanics and their delivery and stuff, or is this a situation where a lot of the pitchers are just kind of just going out there and just doing what they can do? No, 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 no. We're definitely, uh, you know, we're like mechanical trainers, um, you know, with them. It's 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 uh, we're so like right, so they're so young and we're so it's you know they're maybe they're uh, first full season second full season um, and so they're so they're so overall um, but you, you definitely you, you make tackle changes with them to, because you want to get them going in the right direction uh, that uh, because you want them to compete at the next level so then the next level and the next level and it's 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 very you're trying to be the double A, triple A and you know, big leagues and they're worried about the mechanics. That, that that's not the place to worry that's that's not the place to be working on stuff. You you wanna pretty much have a, a a solid foundation by the time you get uh, get to double A so that you can just concentrate on competing. 
Yeah, very true, man. Uh, you know, is it, you know, when, when you're when you're dealing with, do you ever uh, do you ever come across some uh, some pitchers that are a little tougher to adjust as far as their willingness? Because you get you know you get a lot of pitchers that come through college. They're you know they're set in a certain way, and then all of a sudden the results aren't there at you know the lower level of the minor leagues as they move up. And you know, do you, do you, do you run into any issues as far as pitchers that aren't as receptive to your suggestions? It sounds like the way it probably is with a lot of them. And once again, this is John Pielli. I'm here with Chris Mahalik, former Major League pitcher and current pitching coach at the Potomac Nationals. Now, uh, before we get into your playing career a little bit, how about, uh, you know, give a little plug about some of some of the top pitchers you got down there. Anybody uh, kind of strike your eye as far as being a, you know, potential major leaguer down the road? Well, we got, we got, uh, 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 the guy that started off the season with me this year um, was here for about, uh, I don't know, maybe a month, uh, month and a half. Taylor uh, Jordan started off the season here with us in uh, Potomac, and now uh, he uh, and, and I, I want to say, maybe uh, July, June, July, he was in the big leagues. That's awesome. He was a for the Potomac Nationals, and they're a pitcher for Washington Nationals, and did a heck of a job up there. So, um, obviously, he's one that stands out. We had a... Uh, It's really, it's, it's, uh, it was really fun to watch. It was really fun to be part of. 
Yeah, definitely, man. Now, you know, as you as you came up, you obviously you were a pitcher yourself. Uh, tell us a little bit about the starting start of your career, and of course, you broke in in 1998 with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Tell us a little bit about your path to the majors and what it felt like to throw that first major league pitch. Uh, well, it was. Uh... <laughs> It wasn't an easy. It wasn't an easy uh, pass for me. You know, I got in '93. I got there in '98, but you know, I spent. Uh, I got drafted by Oakland. I spent uh, you know, four years in the in, uh, in the California League uh, in April, and I, you know, advanced. I, um, I was in the best uh, You know, I had a little little taste of of double A with with Oakland, but they released me in '97. And uh, I sat with the Diamondbacks, played eight ball with them again, and then the next year I was in, uh, you know, I was in, uh, I, in August I got I got called up. Uh, I just a double A, triple A, and um, and the Diamondbacks didn't even have a double A team at the time. They, uh, it was their first year, so they just had a state ball team to a triple A team. So they ended up loaning me out to uh, the Texas Rangers. <laughs> I played with the, I played with the Texas Rangers. Having an Arizona Diamondback was a crazy situation, and uh, that's how my year began in '98. I'm like, what's, what's going on? What, what am I doing? They're, they're, uh, I'm getting loaned out to teams, you know. And uh, by August, I was in the big leagues, and I, uh, you know, got the call. And I uh, first year was in, then I got to pitch in was in Shea Stadium, and and uh, in New York, and it was crazy. It was, it was awesome. I, I just remember going in there and, and thinking to myself, whatever you do, don't throw one to the back side, just hit that pitcher's glove. Because that's what I want up, so everything felt good. And, and then I, uh, <laughs> I threw the ball out in the field, and all of a sudden here comes Matt Williams to play base. I'm like, this is pretty cool. Because we're part of your eye kidding me out there. No, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm 27 years old. I'm okay. Yeah, I tell you, man, I'm listening to you say that. It's almost like a scene from the movie. You know, you know, like a couple movies like that. You see the ball getting thrown around, and all of a sudden, it's you know Matt Williams coming up to you, handing you the ball. It's kind of, it's got to be an insane feeling. It was, it was, it was great. It was, you know, it was, and then to be in New York and, and, and just that atmosphere. And of course, the people at Shea Stadium were, you know, very, very receptive to me as I was walking up to the bullpen <laughs> and telling me, you know, telling me how great I was down there. had a chance to bounce around, you know, from, you know, you mentioned Oakland to Arizona, you know, uh, the Rangers, Toronto, and the Reds. Was there ever really a spot where you really felt like you had a legitimate chance to stick? Uh, you know what, um, in 2001, um, you know, Toronto gave me a great opportunity, and, uh, you know, I, uh, that was the year, that was the year, uh, 
I sang with them as a preach in the off season and I went into camp and I had a great camp and um, those years that we were out on holiday. Um, and then I was the first spot and uh, we had a rough spring and we used to throw straight over the top. And I had a really good spring. And that, um, so they, that's when they made the decision. They sent, they sent Roy all the way back to uh, to um, uh, to A-ball to, to extend spring training. And had him working with one of his old pitching coaches at the time, and they changed the time angle. And they got into more of that three-quarter, uh, that three-quarter arm slot, and I think everybody knows how that, that worked out for him after that. Um, <laughs> yeah, it ended up working out for him. <laughs> yeah, he, he kind of liked that. But, um, so I got, you know, I got a chance to, you know, I made a team out of spring. I had the fifth spot in rotation, and, um, that was probably the most legitimate shot that I got. And, you know, I stuck with them um, all the way until August with the mail waivers. But I was in, you know, I, I pitched in the rotation. I started out, I think, uh, five and one. And for like two months of the season, um, you know, uh, me and Pedro Martinez from the Red Sox, we were one and two, switching back and forth in the LA, leading the American League. And, you know, things were going well. I thought, that I actually, you know, I had a chance to, you know, uh, to, you know, to stick around. And, uh, you know, I was 31 years old, or about, about yes, what was I, that, gosh, what did I say, 2001, so I was, I was, I was 29, 30 years old at the time. And, um, and it's just, uh, it, it, about, halfway, about halfway through the season, um, they just made a decision, you know, I was, I was still pitching these type of NFL 500 record, Eastern ERA, but um, they decided that, you know, they were going to go in a different route. They put me in the bullpen, uh, I lost some other guys to start, and I, I kind of got, I got stuck in the bullpen. All right, but I, I really think that if I was starting the rotation, I think it was my rookie year, and uh, I would have, you know, I would have, uh, I think I would have won 10 ball games now, so when I took out of the rotation, I was about, there was 18 starts, and I think I had six wins. I think I probably would have maybe got four more wins. And I think, I think if that, if, if that would have happened, left handed and wins 10, 10 ball games during a season, usually sticks around for a while. Yeah, very true. Yeah, very true, man. Now, listen, Chris, I want to wish you the best of luck, you know, in the playoffs with the Potomac Nationals, and, you know, hopefully you guys bring a championship home to the organization. And, you know, thank, thanks for having a couple minutes today. Hopefully you can stay in touch. I can get you on the program sometime in the near future. All right, this is our